Well, we are going to start uh, a new series during Sunday school through the book of Ezra. And I believe I've been talking about getting to this one for a long time. And so I decided to do it during the Sunday school hour. Some very important things that we need to learn from. If you get a hold of the book of Ezra and you understand the doctrinal significance, the historical significance, they will not be able to put one over on you with a lot of bad prophecy teaching. If we just understand the history, the context, the doctrinal significance. And if you are, and if you do this kind of thing, and I hope you do, if you're the kind that when you know I'm preaching through a book, you read ahead to see what I'm going to be covering the next week. Don't stay home from Sunday school next week because you read Ezra 2 and it's all names. It's all names. It's all genealogies. Uh, I promise I'm going to, I, I, I think, I, I, I shouldn't say I promise. I think I've got something interesting for you that will be very helpful that I think you will enjoy. Uh, but uh, basically what I'm going to do is I'm just going to, I'm going to do a lesson on the importance of these genealogies that people a lot of times they don't realize and so uh i i I promise i'm going to do my best to make sure it's not boring i don't think it's going to be boring i don't want to promise it won't be boring because it could be but i I don't think it will be but anyway ezra chapter one let's go and look at verse one notice what it says now in the first year of cyrus king of persia that the word of the lord by the mouth of jeremiah might be might be fulfilled the lord stirred up the spirit of cyrus king of persia that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it also in writing, saying, and we're going to stop right there, but something that we take for granted when we read the book of Ezra is what a major event this is, this proclamation that he's making. This is huge. This is a major fulfillment of prophecy. This is a major proclamation by a world ruler at this time. And we do, we, we take for granted This is showing a fulfillment of prophecy. It kicks it off, telling us it's in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia. This tells us where we are in our timeline. It mentions that this is a fulfillment of what was spoken of by Jeremiah. Now keep that in mind, because Ezra comes in the Bible before Jeremiah does, but Jeremiah chronologically comes before the book of Ezra. Very important because when people want to preach about the restoration of Israel in 1948 and them coming back to the land, where do they typically go? They go to Jeremiah quite often, ignoring the fact that what Jeremiah prophesies is being fulfilled in Ezra. And so, uh, so understand, and I want to, I want to point this out to you before we go to Jeremiah, but I have this, uh, picture up here. That kind of shows us a breakdown of the Bible. Now, a lot of you probably know this, but I don't want to just assume everyone knows this. I think this is important we understand this. But in your Bible, you have the books of, starts out Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Those are the books of Moses, the book of the law. Some will call it the Pentateuch. They come in first. And then we have our historical books, all in order, that start from Joshua. And they go chronologically, roughly. Ruth was took place sometimes not in between Judges and 1 Samuel, but it would have happened sometimes during the time of Judges. But we have this additional story that's significant and that's specifically about people in the line that David would come from, that more importantly, Jesus would come from. But then we have First and Second Samuel and then First and Second Kings that mainly focuses on the northern kingdom. Because remember, the kingdom split. 
It tells stories about the southern kingdom, but it mostly focuses on the northern kingdom where first and second Chronicles talks about a lot of the same things we see in first and second Kings, but it mainly focuses on the southern kingdom. So when we get to the end of second Chronicles and we're, I'm going to show you this here in a minute, but the last seven verses cover over 70 years of history. So in second, from second Chronicles to Ezra, Ezra's where we're at. That does, that comes next. But second Chronicles ends with them going into captivity. And then it tells us, and then they came out of captivity and basically Cyrus commissions them to rebuild the temple. And it jumps to where, you know, it, it just gives a brief summary. So then we have Ezra, Nehemiah happens later. And then Esther is another separate story that happens during the time of Ezra and Nehemiah. So if you're reading through your Bible, you're going to read Ezra, you know, and it's just real easy to just gloss over those seven verses and not think about all that took place in that, you know, 70 to 100 years. So then you have your poet, poetic books. You have Job that goes all the way back to the time of Abraham. But then you have Psalms, mostly written by David, but others. You have Proverbs by Solomon, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. Then we get to the major prophets. We have Isaiah that's uh, mainly about uh, prophecies about the northern kingdom, the Assyrians coming and taking over. But a lot of it's focused on Judah, the southern kingdom that repented. God spared him. He protected them. And the captivity was spared. But when we get to Jeremiah, that's when these things are finally fulfilled. So understand, in those, the last seven verses of Second Chronicles, we have all the events of the 52 chapters, I believe, of Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and a lot, and, and a lot of Daniel. All of that takes place in between Second Chronicles and Ezra. So all these prophecies, people are going to them all the time and they are like, this is about the restoration of Israel. This is them coming back in 1948. Okay, But no, and, and here's the problem. When you read these, the very next book that would help to read this, well, I read through the chronological Bible every other time I read through the Bible. Ezra is where we ought to go. Ezra and Nehemiah, where we're seeing the fulfillment of prophecies in there. But the problem is people are reading through these and they're like waiting for these things to still happen. No, go back and read Ezra again. That's where a lot of these things happened. But then, you know, they go into the, the minor prophets, which Hosea, Joel, and Amos are mainly about the prophecies about the northern kingdom. Obadiah, Jonah, uh, those are mainly prophecies about other nations. Obadiah is about Edom, prophecies about Edom. Jonah is about Nineveh. And then you got ones that are more about the southern kingdom. But even... Zephaniah and, uh, or not Zephaniah, Haggai and Zechariah, all of those prophecies are also given during the times of Ezra and Nehemiah as well. So I want to, I want to point all that out to you because if you're just reading through the historical books of the Bible, when you get to Ezra, or when you get to Second Chronicles, I mean, tons of Bible happened in between that time. A ton of Bible that we're ignoring. So, if you go right from Second Chronicles to right into reading Ezra, you almost miss, miss the climax of what's taken place. Because this is, this is big, this is a major fulfillment. And so, let's look at a few verses in Jeremiah. Jeremiah 25, 11 says, And this whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. That's what Jeremiah prophesied. He prophesied that back, you know, 70 years or several years before uh, it actually took place. And so Ezra 
is referring to that prophecy. It's been fulfilled. The 70 years are over. Cyrus is letting us go back to our land. He's letting us go back and rebuild the temple. Jeremiah was right. The word of God was right. Prophecy was correct. And it says, It shall come to pass when 70 years are accomplished that I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, saith the Lord, for their iniquity in the land of the Chaldeans and will make it perpetual desolations. And I will bring upon the land all my words which I have pronounced against it, even all that is written in this book which Jeremiah had prophesied against all the nations. So it looks like the prophecies of Jeremiah were mainly about what was going to happen in that day. And sure enough, Ezra's like, it happened. It, was, it, it took place. Jeremiah 29.10, For thus saith the Lord, that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good toward you in causing you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. What was that about? The thoughts of peace, God said, while you're being punished, now, while you're about to be punished really bad now, I've got good thoughts toward you and I'm going to bring you back. Okay? Now, somebody needed to tell that to Mike Pence when he went over to Israel when he was vice president and he quoted this verse, you know, acting like this is how it is. No, that was something for a long time ago. That was something for a long time ago. And guess what? Israel messed that stuff up. But Mike Pence doesn't know his Bible very well. I won't talk about how he knows, if he knows the Constitution or not. But anyway, uh, Daniel 9. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, the seed of the Medes, which was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books the number of years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. So Daniel is also referring to this prophecy and he understands it. He gets it. And this is time when Darius is king. So this is around the same time that we're seeing in Ezra where uh, Daniel has this vision. This is after the captivity. And God did. God had already come in and punished the Babylonians. We see that in chapter 8. In chapter 8, when remember when uh, the Babylonians uh, were uh, Belshazzar, he got all the holy vessels of the temple and they started using them in their party of debauchery. And then there was the handwriting on the wall. And you know what happened that night? The Medes and Persians came and defeated them and destroyed them. So just like Jeremiah's prophecies. So then when we get to Daniel 9, 24, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. He says 70 weeks are determined and we all know that's 490 years. He's, he, Daniel is, is receiving this prophecy telling him 490 years are determined to accomplish all these things. These things are all going to be accomplished within a 490 year period. And I don't believe in a gap anywhere. Okay. And he says, know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto Messiah, the prince shall be seven weeks and three score and two weeks. That is what we're seeing in Ezra one. That is the going forth of the commandment. Now, I don't know for sure how many years it was from when Daniel got this vision, how much time passed between that and when Ezra 1, 1 takes place. <clears throat> but here's what we know. This is what we're seeing. 
in Ezra chapter 1, it is showing the fulfillment of major prophecies from Jeremiah that they're going to be allowed to go back to the land. This is, a, this is also showing the beginning of a major prophecy about 490 years that are going to take place to accomplish all these wonderful things, including the Messiah, the removal of sin, and all that. And so, basically, what we're seeing here in the beginning of Ezra is it's showing Israel, guess what? The countdown begins. The clock has started. We have returned to our land. Now, did they all understand this? I don't think they all understood it. But the Word of God and these men who wrote the Word of God wrote exactly what God wanted them to. We have these words, and what we're seeing is the, the beginning of Daniel's 70 weeks. The beginning of it. That's where Ezra, Ezra 1.1 is showing the clock has started, the 70 weeks have begun. And just like God fulfilled the 70-year prophecy about the captivity, you know what, I think it's safe to say this 490-year prophecy is going to come to pass too. So this is huge. The, the countdown is beginning. So now, again, go, go to Second Chronicles 36. Okay, just turn one page back in your Bibles. If you're just reading straight through the Bible, remember, between captivity and the end of the captivity, we have Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, all written. The biggest prophecy passages and the biggest Old Testament passages people go to to talk about future events. I mean, those the main people that teach an Israel-based prophecy, they go to those books to teach about future things for Israel when the reality is those things all took place in between Second Chronicles, Ezra 1, and Ezra 1 is showing us. He refers, to those, he refers to the prophecies of Jeremiah. This is exactly what Daniel is described in Daniel chapter 9. What everybody wants to tell you, God's not done with Israel. They're going to go to Daniel 9 first thing. 70 weeks for them. It's for Israel. It's not about the church. It's about Israel. And then they make, you know, and so all the other weeks are about Israel. And so obviously the 70th week is about Israel. Well, I would agree the 70th week is about Israel. But where's the gap? It's not there. In fact, we can look and see all the things that Daniel said were going to be accomplished within that 70 weeks. And we can go to the New Testament and see every one of those things accomplished. Every one of those things are spelled out in the New Testament that they were accomplished by Jesus Christ. Now, they have not, what people have inserted in that 70 weeks, what the prophecy gurus have inserted in that 70th week has not been fulfilled yet. You know, because they, they've added, they, they look at Revelation, that's Daniel's 70th week. You know, where do we see the locust? Where do we see, you know, that's not in Daniel 9. He doesn't talk about that. So, this is a, it's a major fail on their part. But let's look at Second Chronicles thirty six seventeen. Therefore he brought them, the king of the Chaldees, and slew their young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary, and had no compassion upon young man or maiden, old man or him that stooped for age. He gave them all into his hand. That's fulfillment of some of Jeremiah's prophecies too. And all the vessels of the house of God, great and small, the treasures of the house of the Lord, and the treasures of the king and his princes, all these he brought to Babylon. And they burnt the house of God, break down the wall of Jerusalem, burn all the palaces thereof with fire, and destroyed all the goodly vessels thereof. And then that had escaped from the sword, carried he away to Babylon, where they were servants to him and his sons, until the reign of the kingdom of Persia, to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, until the land had enjoyed her Sabbaths, for as long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbath to fulfill threescore and ten years. 
Now, now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, the word of the Lord spoken by the mouth of Jeremiah might be accomplished. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it in writing, saying, Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, all the kingdoms of the earth hath the Lord God of heaven given me, and he hath charged me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is there among you of all his people? The Lord is God be with him, and let him go up. So do you realize in those seven verses there, it covered 70 years. It showed the major event of the captivity, and it showed the major proclamation. Why? Because that proclamation was huge. Chronicles just given us an overview. But a ton of Bible happened during this time. Well over a hundred chapters happened during that time. That passage we just read there, you know what you need to put in between it? Jeremiah, a lot of, most of Jeremiah, Lamentations, all of Ezekiel, and a lot of Daniel. That all happened within that little portion of scripture we read. So do you see how it's easy to just kind of just read through the Bible and then not, not be paying close attention and then not think it's a big deal. And then what does Ezra do? It picks up exactly where Second Chronicles left off with the proclamation of Cyrus and it just goes into way more detail about the things that take place. But this was a huge fulfillment of prophecy. And to fully understand that significance, it is. It would be a good idea sometime to read Second Chronicles chapter 36 and then go read Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, and then go read Ezra. It'll, it'll help you out a lot to do that. So this chapter is showing the beginning of the fulfilling of many major, more major prophecies that sadly many dispensationalists think are still to come. And understand, there are prophecies of Jeremiah through Daniel that, you know, that they still have significance prophetically there are things about them that are going to come to pass. But here's the thing. It makes, it, we make a huge mistake and we're going to go greatly into error if we ignore what, did be, what was fulfilled in Ezra and Nehemiah. If we ignore those things, we're going to have a lot of problems. And so uh, as we go through Ezra, you know, we're going to see these things and it'll help, us under, it'll help us understand a lot. Now, I don't know for sure you know, what or who God used to get Cyrus to do this thing. But either way, it was God that put it in Cyrus's heart to have the temple rebuilt, to restore the people to the land. And it was, this was also a major fulfillment of prophecy that was written even before Jeremiah. Look at what it says in Isaiah 44 and verse 26. It said, now Isaiah was written in roughly 712 B.C. Um, Ezra 1, where Cyrus makes this proclamation, was in 539 B.C. So does anybody think that Cyrus was alive during the time of Isaiah? No. Okay? They weren't even in power. In fact, the Assyrian Empire was around then. They, they were the ones that were kind of in charge during Isaiah's time. And then you have the Babylonians. And then you have Cyrus come into power. And listen to what it says in Isaiah 44:26. And folks, this is amazing too, because I mean, you know, this just shows, you know, the word, this is the word of God. Isaiah forty four twenty six. They confirmeth the word of his servant and performeth the counsel of his messengers that saith to Jerusalem, Thou shalt be inhabited into the cities of Judah. Ye shall be built, and I will raise up the decayed places thereof. And he's doing this because 
Again, there was a lot of really negative prophecies coming for Jerusalem, but they got delayed because of their repentance. God, God delayed them. But even within those prophecies of destruction, there was also, even during the time of Isaiah, a prophecy of restoration too. That's what's going on here. And so while that destruction did not come in Isaiah's day, it did come in Jeremiah's day, many years later. We see that a lot in the Bible where prophecies would get delayed because people would get right. But even with the original prophecies of, of destruction, prophecies of restoration were also given. And so he says, Thus saith to the deep, Be dry, and I will dry up thy rivers. That saith of Cyrus. No, it, Isaiah named the king before he's even born. That saith of Cyrus, He is my shepherd, and shall perform all my pleasure, even saying to Jerusalem, Thou shalt be built, and to the temple thy foundation shall be laid. Think about that. Over a hundred years before Cyrus is even born, Isaiah prophesied and he named the king that he would say to Jerusalem to be built. He, he prophesied these things. So folks, I show you all this to show you what a big deal Ezra chapter 1 is prophetically. But you know what? You're not going to hear people talk about Ezra 1 at the prophecy conference. You know why? Because the, the prophecies that are fulfilled in Ezra, they're acting like are still to come or have been being fulfilled in the last 75 years. That's dumb. Okay? It was Cyrus that would have commission these things to be done. That was prophesied in Isaiah chapter 44. It wasn't Netanyahu. It wasn't um, Ben-Gurion, you know, who uh, he was the original prime minister of Israel in 1948. You know, it wasn't anything like that. This is something that was fulfilled many, many years ago. So, verse 3. Who is there among you of all his people? Back in Ezra. Um, his God be with him. Let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is the God which is in Jerusalem. This is exactly what Isaiah said would happen. By, and name, even gave the name of the king. And whosoever remaineth in any place where he sojourneth, let the men of his place help him with silver and with gold and with goods and with beasts beside the free will offering for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. Then rose up the chief of the fathers of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites with all them whose spirit God had raised up to go to build the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. Now, it's very important that we get a hold of this fact. Okay? It's Judah and Benjamin. These things are specified for a reason. Okay? We, we're not afraid to pay attention to details because you know, we're, we're on the right track. But notice, then rose up chief of the fathers of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites. Okay? So Judah, Benjamin, and the Levites who went back to build the house of the Lord. Why? This is the southern kingdom. This is the Jews. This is not Israel and the other ten tribes. Okay, now, I'm not going to say a whole lot about that this week, but that is so important that we understand the difference between Judah and the Jews and the northern kingdom, Ephraim, and Israel. There's a difference. Okay? There, there, there is a difference, and we'll probably say more about that in one of the future weeks. But understand, when they got restored to the land, and we're going to see this too, uh, when we go in, in Nehemiah, these people that come back to the land, they kept track of their genealogies. Okay, Don't want to get ahead of myself in the next week. 
they kept track of their genealogies. And, the, and so the Jews, they were like the ones who could prove they were who they said they were. But there were still these other tribes that were out there, and there was a lot of people who couldn't prove their lineage, who couldn't prove their genealogy. And it was very important that Jews be able to do this kind of thing. And so we'll probably say more about this next week, but keep that in mind that, no, this is very specific. This is not the other tribes. This is not the northern kingdom returning. There are prophecies about that in the Old Testament, but that fulfillment has not taken place yet. So just rem- remember all of that. And I'm telling you, it, it's, it's, it's really huge if you can under, if, you know, when you get a hold of that difference there. It will it'll clear a lot of stuff up. But verse 6, And they that were about them strengthened their hand with vessels of silver, with gold, with goods, and with beasts, and with precious things, besides all that was willingly offered. And so the people, notice this, of Cyrus' kingdom, they helped the Jews return to their land. And this, this was a good thing for the world to be helping the Jews be restored to their land. Now, this was also fulfillment of prophecy. This was a very good thing for the people of the world who are not Jews to be helping the Jews get back to their land. This was very important for people who are not Jews to be, you know, protecting them, to be blessing them, to be being good to them. It was very, very important. You know why? And I don't want to, I don't want to get into some of my other messages I have coming, but because of the fact that this Messiah that was going to come was going to be a blessing to them too. Now, we have Baptist preachers today who they take prophecies about the restoration and, and they'll even see these examples of the Gentiles helping, which technically they weren't Gentiles yet. Don't want to mess that up. But, uh, but basically these non-Jews are helping them and being good to them and they are looking at that today and they are telling Christians, we need to help the Jews get back to their land. No, we don't. Okay? Now, I mean, I'll have, gladly help them get from Rock Falls over there, you know, if I can, just for my own special reasons. <laughs> but, but not, listen, we are under no commandment to help with that. We don't need to do, we, we don't need to do that. Those prophecies have already been fulfilled. We're seeing that in, in Ezra. And this was so wise for these people to do because when this countdown begins, you know what comes at the end of the 70 weeks? The Messiah, who is going to pay for the sins of the world and is going to be a blessing to all nations. God is going to bless the entire world. All the nations of the world are going to be blessed through Abraham's seed. And so Abraham's seed must be preserved. Why? Because God has to fulfill His promise of the Messiah. It's got to come through Abraham's seed. It's got to come through the line of Judah. All these things are so important. And it was. It was was a good thing. I don't think these people realized it. But when these non-Jews were being a blessing to Israel or to, to Judah during this time, and they're getting them back to their land and they're helping them out and they're helping them restore and rebuild the temple and all that, they have no idea. We have no idea what a good thing they did for us. Because these things need to be fulfilled. And so... You know, our uh, ancestors from Cyrus, you know, from, from Persia, they did a good thing for us. 
and helping the Jews get back to their land so the Messiah could come and make an end of sins, make reconciliation for iniquity. And we are benefiting from that today. Now, you know what we have? We have a lot of Baptists saying, let's go find Jews and go thank them for giving us the Messiah and the Bible. Say, you know, let's go find some, you know, let's go thank each other for, you know, you know I, I, hey, I just want to thank all of you because you know what? Your forefather Cyrus and his kingdom and his people helped the Jews get back to their land so the Messiah could come. Everybody pat yourself in the back right now, all right? Uh, is that, I mean, that's consistent with what they're telling us to do with Jews today who reject the scriptures, who reject the prophets, who reject the gospel, who reject the Messiah. They're telling us to go around thanking them, you know, because they gave us all these things. Well, you know what? I'm going to go around thanking Gentiles for giving the Jews what they needed to go back to their land. I'm going to thank myself for letting the Jews free so they could fulfill the prophecies needed so the Messiah could come. So, thank you. Everybody look in the mirror tonight and just say, thank you. And you know what? And go ahead and bless yourself. (laughs) It's consistent with what they're telling us to do with the Jews. Do you see how ridiculous that is? Do you see their lack of understanding of what the Scriptures are even talking about when they tell us to do foolishness like that? But, but what, we're tell, what I'm telling you right now helps us understand why it was such a good thing to be a blessing to the Jews back in those days. Because of who was going to come from them, he was going to be a blessing to the whole world. And he was. And thank God for that. So I'll thank Jews and I'll thank Gentiles. And, uh, and you know what? You know, Listen, you get a funny look in your face when I'm thanking you for all these things that you did for the Jews. Because you're like, oh, I didn't really do it. Well, you know what? How come Jews don't get the same look on their face when Christians go thanking them for giving us the Scriptures and the Messiah and all that stuff? It's, it's just dumb. Right? It's, it's really dumb. But anyway, uh, so, so this, uh, why is this restoration so important? And, we'll, and we're probably going to go into more in depth when we get into chapter 2. Because that's where we're going to talk about the genealogies. Because that's pretty much all chapter 2 is. But it was it was so important for the world to get behind the Jews, returning to the land because of the Messiah was prophesied to come from them. And, there, and even a timeline is given. So that's what's so cool about this chapter. The clock has started. That's exciting. So Ezra 1.7, Also Cyrus the king brought forth the vessels of the house of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had brought forth out of Jerusalem, and had put them into the house of his gods. Even those did Cyrus, king of Persia, bring forth by the hand of Mithridath, the treasurer, and numbered them unto Sheshbazar, the king of, the prince of Judah. And this is the number of them, thirty charges of gold, a thousand charges of silver, nine and twenty knives, thirty basins of gold, silver basins of a second sort, four hundred and ten, and other vessels, a thousand. And all the vessels of gold and of the silver were five thousand and four hundred. All these did Sheshbazar bring up with them of the captivity that were brought up from Babylon unto Jerusalem. And I want you to notice, Cyrus, he basically parted with a great deal of wealth when he did this. But again, the Bible does not tell us, but God put it in his heart. Now, I believe that God probably did use someone, there was some kind of event that put this in his heart, okay? You know, typically when something is put in our heart, you know, the Bible says, mine eye affecteth mine heart. So for whatever reason, the scriptures doesn't tell us what it was that caused him to do this. 
But obviously something, he saw something. God did a major work in his heart because a king letting this many captives go and a parting with all this wealth that they had stolen. And not only that, but even taking some of their wealth and being a blessing to them, obviously something had majorly changed in his heart and in his mind. God used something because this is unusual that a king would do something like this. But the reality is what we just need to understand is that God was doing something. Now, I will tell you one thing that could have, that could have caused this, all right? Just a possibility, but turn over to Daniel chapter 5. Because understand, Daniel's still alive during this time. Daniel's still around. Daniel was very influential with the kings. You know, Daniel prophesied to Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel prophesied to Belshazzar. Daniel's getting all these things right. I don't know. Maybe Daniel talked to him. Maybe Daniel told him about Jeremiah. Maybe Daniel told him about Isaiah. Hey, I got to show you a prophecy in Isaiah. You're named. I don't know. And he, he could have done something like that. But either way, in Daniel chapter 5, verse 1, where it says, And Belshazzar the king made a great feast to a thousand of his lords and drank wine before the thousand. Belshazzar, whilst he tasted the wine, commanded to bring the golden and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple, which was in Jerusalem, that the king and his princes, his wives and his concubines might drink therein. And now why would they want to take these holy vessels like that? And drink? They, they were being profane and blasphemous on purpose, I believe. Just shows the arrogance of this man. Then they brought the golden vessels that were taken out of the temple of the house of God, which is at Jerusalem. And the king and his princes, his wives and his concubines drink in them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and of silver and of brass and of iron and of wood and of stone. And in the same hour came forth the finger, the fingers of a man's hand and wrote over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of his hand that wrote and the king's countenance was changed. His thoughts troubled him so that the joints of his loins were loosed and his knees smote one against another. So maybe Cyrus, when he found out about all those things, he's like, you know what? I'm not messing with the vessels of the house of God. Maybe somebody told him about what happened when the Philistines took the Ark of the Covenant and God smote all of them with emeralds. So I don't know. But, but either way, this was a very wise decision of Cyrus to do this thing. It was a very wise thing for him to bless the Jews and to restore them to the land. This was so important that they do it for their, not just for their protection so God's not smiting them and cursing them, but also for their benefit because the Messiah is going to come. And so what we're seeing in this chapter, God is fulfilling a major prophecy that started the clock moving to where they now have a timeline for the coming of the Messiah. Now that the clock has started and Israel has been warned that the Messiah is coming, here's, here's what, also what you have to understand. Okay, the clock started. What does that mean? The book of Ezekiel, and I had another slide up here. Uh, I don't... I guess it's, it's not really important. This is kind of another break. This is kind of a chronological breakdown. But here, it's kind of showing the chronology of the book. So you have Genesis, Job was around that time. Exodus, Pithecus, New Army, Numbers, Joshua, Judges. Ruth happened during Judges. So here's these timelines. And notice in this 70-year exile, we have Ezekiel and Daniel. And understand, Jeremiah is like right in there, like before and even going into some of the captivity. So, um, forgot where I was going with that, but so, so basically 
you know, uh, when we understand all that was taking place here, all the things that are being fulfilled, Ezekiel, okay, not, and not just Ezekiel, but Haggai and Zechariah, these were given during this time when they had, they're going to start doing the work of the Lord, but then it's going to stop and these guys come along. But understand, Ezekiel has given many additional instructions for what they are supposed to do to prepare for the Messiah. Zechariah does the same thing. In his prophecy, telling them, hey, it's time to get back to work on the temple, he also gives them instructions on what they're supposed to do to prepare for the Messiah. Malachi, the final prophet during this period, he comes along and he basically is telling them, you're doing a terrible job. You need to get back to work. You, you need to start doing things right. That's what he's doing. And then, again, when we go into Matthew, you know what we're seeing there? Jesus showing up like they told, said was going to happen right in the time frame they said it was going to happen. And you know what? Israel didn't do what he said to do. Israel didn't do what he said to do. They were not ready for his coming. And so what we're seeing is the kingdom taken from them and given to another nation. The book of Acts is another historical book that's showing us basically the final result of Israel. There were, there was a remnant reached, a, a, a great remnant that was reached, but as a whole, there was rejection. What we are supposed to be seeing in the book of Acts, when they first went into all the 12 tribes of Israel, they were, to, they were to go to the 12 tribes of Israel scattered abroad throughout the whole earth. You know what we were supposed to be seeing during that time? We were supposed to be seeing the fulfilling of some of the prophecies of Ezekiel about the two nations being restored, Israel and Judah. We were supposed to be seeing the fulfilling of the two kingdoms being uniting, united, but we, all we see is a remnant being reached. We see rejection. And so you know what? We have the destruction of Jerusalem that comes. And so we'll, we'll say more about that in the future, but hopefully uh, this kind of gives you a good introduction to the book of Ezra and you'll understand just how important all these things are that we're about to see in there. This is major fulfillment of prophecy. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for uh, the, the clearness of your word. I pray you help us to take the time to study these things. Help us not to just get lazy with it and just read over these things. But help us to pay attention to the significance, compare these with other scriptures, and I pray you help us to uh, be uh, good stewards of your word as we go through this series. In your name we pray. Amen. You are dismissed.